0: Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study Uh, We are so excited that you have uh, taken time to be with us today If this is your first time with us, uh, hello, Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show uh, And director of themanchurch.com themanchurch.com is a a hub for uh, resources for men's ministry uh, Including a complete discipleship strategy to reach and disciple the men of your church, your community Uh, Also individual resources available there for you to Uh, lead your children through Bible studies, your sons, uh, to be the spiritual leader that God has called us to be. Uh, What we want to do is provide equipping uh, for for men to actually answer the call that God has placed on us, and only he can empower us to do it, Uh, and at the same time, offering high challenge opportunities, too, as we send our speakers and teachers out all over the country. As a matter of fact, if you want to know where some of our guys are going out uh, this week, now, we are doing this Bible study on September the fourteenth, twenty twenty two. That's when it happens live. I know some of you catch archives, so it may be it may not be anywhere near that date for you. Uh, but uh, know that on this particular date, uh, there's an opportunity tonight in Orange, Texas. Anybody ever been to Orange, Texas? Beautiful place. First Baptist Church tonight. Uh, the men's discipleship strategy will be kicking off. I'll be there via video. Uh, kicking that off with our kickoff package, and they're about to start uh, one of our 40-week curriculum. We have three of those, and we'll have a fourth one coming out in 2023, and you can find those at themanchurch.com. Other opportunities uh, coming up Saturday on the 17th of September, uh, we will have Lance Ingram. He'll be speaking at Salem Heights Baptist Church in beautiful Laurel, Mississippi as they are going through the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, And First Baptist Church, Opelika, on September the 22nd, this church in Opelika, Alabama, they are in their third year of the strategy. They started uh, in 2020 with it. They have never wavered, uh, and they are now in year three, doing our third curriculum, uh, and Andy Blanks will speak at their next Man Church coming up on the on the 22nd of September. The 25th of September is a very busy day for the themanchurch.com. Uh, Athens, Alabama, they have started the men's discipleship strategy there. Scott Dawson will be there on the 25th for their Man Church, same day. Kicking off the strategy, this means this is their kickoff service and they go into the curriculum, is Startville, Mississippi at First Baptist Church. Andy Blanks will be there. And then that morning, uh, two morning services in West Mobile. I'll be at West Mobile Baptist, and I'll be preaching that Sunday morning, uh, both services. So uh, a lot going on on September the 25th. So, uh, Some other things that you might be interested in that you might want to get on your calendar, um, an opportunity – On September the 24th, this has nothing to do with the Man Church, uh, but more with Burgess Ministries, is my wife Sherry and I will be speaking together, uh, along with Mac Brunson, Scott Dawson, uh, and other teachers that will be doing some some breakout sessions. Uh, This is a conference that is uh, devoted uh, solely to the topic of grieving. Grief uh, with the the suffering of a of a loved one or a friend. Uh, what does Scripture have to say about that? What is the strategy to combat that uh, and be refined by that and not destroyed? Sherry and I will be there. It's called Sustaining Hope Grief Recognized Conference, Valleydale Church. That's my home church in Birmingham, Alabama, on September the 24th. Now, if you want tickets to that, seating is limited. Uh, you go to rickandbubba.com and look under Upcoming Events or Burgess and look at September 24th. You'll see the link to get the tickets, and Sherry and I will see you there. So there's some opportunities. There's others. You can find them by going to the manchurch.com or to BurgessMinistries.com if we can help you in any way. So we're going to continue our walk through the book of Genesis today. We'll be in Genesis 35. So we're going to open up in a word of prayer and then we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to unpack your holy word today. I pray that your hand be upon every man that is in this room and every man and woman that may be listening to this or watching this anywhere in the world. Uh, I pray, Lord, that today you prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say, not what I have to say, what you have to say. Uh, Lord, we do uh, continue to pray for for Jerry, uh, who is here in our group uh, his ongoing battle with his back and surgery and uh, ongoing rehabilitation, may you be with him. Uh, Lord, we also pick uh, lift up today in a special way. Uh, Bubba, who, of course, is the co-host of the show and, and uh, has been my friend for many years with his uh, diagnosis, uh, dealing with his liver. I pray, Lord, those doctors that will be working on him next week will find the answers they search for and also the solution. Uh, and I pray, Lord, uh, for his full recovery. Uh, And ultimately, Lord, all these things uh, we lay down and say what you taught us to say, that your will be done. In your holy name we pray, amen. Uh, All right, so let's go to Genesis 35, and and if you did not pick up last week, you can. Uh, You can find archives for this entire study. Uh, We've been at it now for nine months, and you can find the archives at burgessministries.com by clicking on listen, or you can go to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel and find them there, whichever you prefer, or a combination of both. So we know that that last week uh, we went through um, uh, the lesson God's teaching about us following what he's calling us to do and and not to make up our own plan. And, and Jacob decided uh, that he would buy some land in, in an area that God had not told him to stay in, uh, only rest and keep moving to where he wanted him to go. Uh, and uh, we had a, a bad thing break out uh, while, with him putting his family in a dangerous environment. His daughter was raped, uh, and then uh, two of his sons um, uh, sought vengeance, uh, not only uh, just against those who had raped uh, their sister, uh, but uh, all the men uh, in this community, and then they actually took their wives and children uh, as, uh, as hostages and stole everything that they had, so that leaves Jacob, as he says at the end of thirty-four. You've kind of made me a stink here uh, with all this, and uh, my numbers are few. And if they decide to come uh, against me, I will be destroyed. Uh, and the last thing that uh, the last thing the sons say to dad is, uh, "We can't let people treat our sister like a prostitute and get away with it." So now we get into thirty-five, and uh, guess what? Jacob's got to go now. So he he cannot stay where he is. So 35 opens up, and let's do verse 1 first. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to, uh, to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you uh, when you fled from your brother Esau. Now, because of the actions of Simeon and Levi, uh, Jacob fears for everybody's safety. Uh, and, uh, and God, um, you know, of course, says, Well, here's the solution, Jacob. Go to where I told you to go to begin with. You get to Bethel. Uh, And and this is the only time, and this is crucial, these things we're finding out studying Genesis uh, really uh, are are just blowing my mind when you hear some of the theologians bring these kind of things to our attention. And uh, one of the commentaries, I think it might have been Steinman's commentary, said this is the only time in Scripture that we see God command one of the patriarchs, you know Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, to build an altar. He he didn't wait for them to build it. He didn't hope that they would build it. He commands them to build it, uh, which which is significant because what he's trying to do is to drive home the point aggressively. Uh, don't forget uh, what I've done for you. Don't forget what I've promised you, and don't forget that the last time we had an encounter, it's because you had deceived your brother and you were having to run from him because he wanted to kill you, and I met you at Bethel. Do you remember that? And I, and I want you to build an altar and remember who I am uh, and remember this encounter that he had with God prior. Uh, and, and let me say something that's kind of ironic about all this, that Jacob has found himself in Bethel after deceiving Isaac and stealing Esau's birthright the first time, now Jacob is being told by God to return. Why is he having to return? Because his sons have deceived people. So the first time he ever encountered God in Bethel was because he had deceived somebody. And now God's saying, let's get back to where I met you before, and now you've got to go there because you've raised sons that have deceived people with the uh, deception of them being circumcised so they would be laying there healing and easy to kill. So, so now uh, Jacob once again is learning one thing. We must always take away. I was talking with someone about this yesterday. We were talking. So, I want you to, if we can, if you can get your mindset through the sanctification process, and it is quite freeing for you to get to the point that you realize that God is always teaching, no matter what situation you find yourself in. It's not some random act or it's something that doesn't make any sense, or I don't know what's going on here. You can find clarity if you are been redeemed and you're a follower of Christ and you are a child of God. If you will learn that our perfect Father who has adopted us, we, we now have been connected to his family. He is always teaching his children. My wife has said it a thousand times, nobody teaches like the Lord. And and, and in these situations, if you'll always pivot to God's teaching, not poor, poor, pitiful me, or how did I end up in this situation? And by the way, most of the times I've ended up in this situation because of me, my biggest enemy, okay? Not because of something God failed to do. It was something I failed to do. And But he's always teaching through all this, uh, uh, everything we're going through, and you see God is teaching Jacob right now. So now let's read verses 2 through 4. So Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, everybody for a big big underline? If you have a pen, here comes a big underline. Are you ready? Put away the foreign gods that are among you, continue underlining, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me, underline this too, who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. We could just, that could just be it for today. I mean, we, we, we could say we're done for the day. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time together right here. And we would still be talking about it when it was time to go. Okay. So I'll, I'll try not to stay here for the rest of our time, but it will be difficult. Because this is rich and this is meaty and this is crucial. Okay. So first of all, let's let's look at the first thing that he is saying here. Okay. If we are going to get ourselves back in the plan that God has for us, if we want to return to his will, we got a clean house. Okay? And so you say, Well, Rick, I don't, I don't have any any idols you you don't you don't have any uh we all got idols okay human beings we god made us to worship and we we're gonna worship something okay and what he's saying is well you know i'm gonna redeem you so you worship me your worship will be correct but all of us worship things that are not worthy of worship and they are idols if you want to find in your life where your idols are Some of you, raise your hand if you've been in here for most of the eight years we've been doing this. This is going to be repetitive for you, but I don't know about you. I learned doing reps, okay? Some of you have heard this. Adrian Rogers, uh, who has gone on to glory, great pastor and teacher, said it this way. Anything, you ready? Anything you love more, anything you serve more, Anything you value more, and this is the one that we often forget, anything you fear more than God is an idol. Anything you love more, anything you value more, anything that you're more devoted to, anything you fear more is an idol. If you deem anything more valuable than your devotion to God, it is an idol. If you love something more than—that's the reason why Jesus is saying in Luke 14, remember this. Jesus is not saying in Luke 14 when he says, if you want to be my disciple and you want to be used by me, you're going to have to put your family secondary to me. Now, many people look at and say, well, he's saying you can't be redeemed if you, if you don't hate your family. No, he didn't say anything about redemption. He just says you can't be used by me. You're, you're not going to be useful if you can't do that. Okay, he's saying if you truly want to be used by me and you want to advance the kingdom, you can't have anything that's more important to me. And you know what's beautiful about that? If we actually stopped worshiping our family and would worship God, we could actually be the people to our family they need. You think your children want to be placed ahead of God? A child doesn't need that kind of pressure. You think your wife wants to be put ahead of God? She doesn't need that kind of pressure. You think your family wants to be put where God should be? Nobody needs to be put there. That's actually not loving them. And he said, so if you place them ahead of me, I can't use you. And if you place anything ahead of me, then I can't use you. And so why in the world would these people still have idols? And I'll tell you why, because there's certain things that if we were honest, it's like a life preserver to us, and we can't, quite be devoted to god to the point that we put this away it's our life preserver i still i i don't know that i want to lay myself out without all this in front of god and say i don't need anything but you i need you i know i need you but i might still need this stuff too i need you plus something which is by the way it's blasphemy okay (laughs) Because because nothing should be placed equal to him. We have people who place animals equal to God now, unbelievable. I don't even know what to say to that. That is so foreign to me. I can't even I can't even wrap my mind around that. There's some people really you would say well they put their family ahead of God. No they don't. They put an animal ahead of God. They got some pet that's more important to them than God. And heaven just ain't gonna be heaven if 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 that if my sweet little dog gets in there. What I, I mean, I, I mean, it's certainly fine to have them, and it's a nice gift from God. But you talk about something that falls miserably short of God, and so do people. But uh, but to place it's supposed to be God, then then the human beings in your life, then everything else, and and animals are are not a, they should never be in another another place they shouldn't be. So if you're right now in this room, or you're watching this, 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 you say I want to be right with God. Scripture says in many places, and here's another one: "Where the idols have got to go, turn them in." And 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 it, and it's interesting because when you when you look at what, uh, what 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 he's talking about here, you know this likely includes the one that Rachel stole, the teraphim that she took from from Laban. I'm sure that's still with them. But 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 here is Jacob now saying, "Hey, wife, you got to turn that in." Sometimes you have to go to your wife and tell you tell her to turn hers in too. If you want to be the spiritual leader. And sometimes that may be more difficult than even turning your own in. To have to sit down with your wife and say there's some idols we got to turn in. There's some things we got to let go. I I need to have that idol and we're going to get rid of it. And so think of the things in your life that would that would meet that. Then he tells them to do what next to pure yourself. So we're also hearing that we can't be in God's will. We can't be used by God. God can't get us to where he wants us to go if we're not willing to purify ourselves. So what does that look like? There's garbage in our life that's got to go. It may be things you're reading, things you're watching, things you're listening to, things you keep saying, things I keep doing that are keeping us from being pure. Remember how uncomfortable our walk through First Peter was when we got to verse 13 through 15, how ugly that was? That we no longer are ignorant children. Now as obedient children, we can no longer claim ignorance, so we must be holy in all our conduct. See, I, see my pick there would be some of our conduct. But what Peter says, no, God, God's called you to all of your conduct to be holy, not some of it. He said, because what? You've been redeemed now. You can't really claim that you're ignorant to who God is anymore because now his spirit has come into your dead spirit and made it alive, so ignorance is no longer an option. So if you continue to, 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 be, uh, to, to not be pure, and if you're not going to purify yourself now, you refuse to purify yourself knowing that you should. If you're going to continue to have idols in your life, you're going to keep those idols knowing they don't belong there. It's not ignorant anymore. You think they didn't know they weren't supposed to have idols? But they weren't quite sure they could give them up. I I just can't quite let that go. I still deem that more valuable than God, or as valuable. And Jacob says, if we're going to get to Bethel and build this altar, we got to turn them in. So, but look at four. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, Jacob hid them underneath what well, really is an oak tree near Shechem. What What's up with all the rings in their ears? Why, why, why are we turning all that in? Well, there's there's speculation that, uh, that some of it could be the spoils of Levi and Simeon. They stole all this from people, and now the women are wearing them. And they said, we're not taking that stuff with us. Others could be this is again some things that were included in certain kinds of idolatry, and uh, uh, and, and why those things needed to go. It says that um, um, it it also could be, um, you know, that it had something to do with that some of these rings actually came off some of the idols. They took them off and put them on themselves. The bottom line is these things represented something that God did not like, uh, and so that was part of them purifying themselves now we were talking earlier tom made the point and and i agree it is a little concerning that jacob hides them underneath the tree he doesn't destroy them uh that that that's concerning as if if we need to get back to him we still can uh, i would suggest we burn them and be done with them if you remember throughout the the old testament we kept hearing even kings that would do pretty good, and there weren't many of them, but that some of them that would do pretty good, it would say a lot of them failed because they wouldn't go up into the high places and they wouldn't deal with the altars to idols that were up in the mountains, up in the hills. They would do the stuff that was close, but they wouldn't go up there and take that out. Meaning they were completely done with that. And sooner or later, the people would drift back to it. So, I would suggest one other step with us is to completely destroy them once they've all been turned in. I wouldn't just hide them. I'd be done with them. And so now they move on. So now let's look at what happens when they follow God's instructions, verses 5 through 7. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Uh, and, uh, and and Jacob came to Luz. now this is Bethel. Uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament what, what what Bethel and Luz they're the same thing and and sometimes it's called Luz. other times it it's completely goes to Bethel. This was a transition in the name of this place, which is in the land of Canaan and he and all the people were with him and he did what he' was supposed to do. He built an altar. he called it called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So he gets there. He, he goes, and, and God says, y'all have turned in the idols, you've purified yourself, you've cleaned your garments. And, and, and for them, the purification did include bathing and cleaning and everything. And, and so it, it, was a, it was an act to God that we are cleansing ourselves. And, and so they've done this, and since they did this, what did God do when they started journeying? He made sure that they couldn't be pursued. He protected them. right? So, so if we can't ask for God's uh, protection and then continue to blaspheme him. You know, remember this. If there's one thing that God told us, and he told us loud and clear, and he has said it from the beginning, I don't share my glory with anyone or anything. Do not have any gods before me. Commandment number one, there's nothing that I share my glory with. He won't share it with me. He won't share it with you. He won't share it with your kids. He won't share it with your wife. He won't share it with your job. He won't share it with anything. He will not share his glory. And if, and if he senses that we're, we, we got that, then here comes his protection of those who have him in the proper place. We, we can't blaspheme God and then call on him anytime we feel scared because the protection from God comes with walking with him on a daily basis and proving ourselves to be steadfast and faithful. And, and this action pleased God, apparently, and plus he, he, he did not allow uh, the uh, the vengeance to come upon Simeon and Levi, nor anyone with Jacob. And so he gets to where he's supposed to be, so that's obedient, uh, and there he does what God told him to do. He He's now saying that this will be the God, this is the God, this is the God of Bethel. I'm now dedicating and consecrating this place to God because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled his brother. Now Now, Key, go back. And, and look at, at one of the things that um, that Jacob had already said uh, about God. He said that God, look, look back at, at verse 3, then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So Jacob's not ignorant to the fact that God has never let him down. Right, it, it it's the reason why you hear Job say that when he went through his suffering, and we got to get there too through difficulty, a lot of it that we bring on ourselves. As you hear Job say, he says, "You know, even though he slayed me, I find no fault in him." You know, because when I when he got me to the point that I realized that that my suffering brought me so intimate. In the relationship with him before, I'd heard me heard of him with my ears, and I obeyed him, but now I've seen him with my eyes through what? Suffering and difficulty, distress, and now this distress has brought me so close to God, I now see him as he really is, and when I see him as he really is, I despise myself and I repent in ashes and dust, and even though he slay me, I find my hope only in him. I find no fault in God. I find fault in me. He's not the problem. I am the problem. And, and, and you see this being acknowledged. Jacob is saying, which we need to say, anytime I have felt distant from God, it's because I moved. Because he was with me wherever I went. He was with me in my time of distress. He never abandoned me me, I kept abandoning him. And that's crucial to get that point. So now we go to, to verse eight and it's pretty straightforward. It, it just covers a, a piece of history. and Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called uh, its name. And the name is' difficult uh, to, to say, but but basically what, what this means is this is going to be a, a place that he has marked. In, in honor of her. And, and, and when, you, when you look at, at what uh, what's going on here, when, when he says that this now is an oak of weeping, that's what this this word that's difficult to say mean, means. It's, it means the oak of weeping. So where he buried her, they grieved over Deborah. Deborah was obviously elderly, and, and, and we know that. Why? Because Moses tells us that it was Rebecca's wet nurse, so she must be pretty old. Uh, to, and, and, and likely what they think happened here, uh, which is 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 uh, is difficult is that Deborah had gone there to tell Jacob that his mother had died that's why she she they sent her as a messenger because she's supposed she's been with Rebecca her whole life and now she's got gone to see Jacob and we know that Rebecca will find out later before we finish genesis that Rebecca has died and so this this wet nurse of Rebecca who's been this trusted servant to her her whole life, likely joined them to bring the news of Rebecca's death, uh, and, and we won't know that to the very end. Uh, but the reason why we also know that when Jacob gets to Bethel, he knows Rebecca's died because he never asked where she where she is. And we think Deborah, the theologians who studied this, told him that. That's why she's in the group now. And so when she died, it was they made a, a great lamentation. Over how good she'd been to the family, um, so that that's where that comes from. So so now going to, to nine and ten. God appeared to Jacob again. Uh, so or, or had appeared. It could be past tense, when he came uh, to padden a ram. So and blessed him. So so God keeps appearing, and what this is showing. Is that now when, when he gets to this place and God appears to him there, we see that Jacob's journey uh, is now complete and God blesses him. And again, here comes the name change. Remember, we talked about this back when the wrestling with God? So now God's going to say, We're not just going to talk about this name change anymore. We're going officially, we're going to change it. And, and look at 10. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob no longer. Shall be your name. Uh, you will not be called Jacob. Israel shall now be your name. So he called his name Israel. So so that we're we're done with with the um, a, a Jacob thing. We wrestled it out. I told you we were going to change your name. Now that you've gotten back to where I wanted you to be. Now that you've built the altar. Now that we've consecrated this place. I appear to you again, and deceiver is over. You've been redeemed, and he who has have struggled or striven with God and prevailed—that's your new name. We're done with deceiver. It, it, don't you aren't you glad you serve a God that says whatever your name was, fornicator, it's not anymore. Hey, adulterer, that's not your name anymore. Hey, liar, that's not your name anymore. Hey, violence, that's not your name anymore. Hey, bitterness, that's not your name anymore. Hey unforgiving that is not your name anymore. Okay? Hey lustful that's not your name anymore. That that that, that you you now have a new name and uh, and we will not be calling you that anymore because I a gracious God I have redeemed you. Praise his holy name for that. Verses 11 through 13 and God said to him I am God Almighty. Underline that. That's important. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. All right. Let's walk through what's happening here. So God continued um, uh, his, his words to Jacob by identifying himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now, why is that important? Why is he using that name? Well, that's important. Because this is the same name that he used when he renamed Abram, Abraham. I mean, yeah, Abram, Abraham. So what he said is, I am El Shaddai. You're no longer going to be Abram. You're now going to be Abraham. He looks at Jacob. He says, I am El Shaddai. You're no longer Jacob. You're going to be Israel. So that same name he's used with his granddaddy, he's now using with him. I am the same God. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And I'm now the God of Israel. That's why that's important. Okay, every These things are not—we don't just look over them. It's important to see because you'll see that God develops a, a consistency of his character that does not change. And so then what does he do? He's reminding Jacob, when I changed your granddaddy's name from Abram to Abraham, I made these promises, and he repeats them again. And these promises— have been kept and they will continue to be kept, and I'm working my way through this line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I'm working my way to Jesus. And and all because look look at this. There's something interesting here. So he said, A nation will come from him, but then he says, an assembly of nations will come from him. He said, Kings will descend from him. Make a note of that. God will give him the land promised to Abraham and Isaac, and then he will give the land to his descendants as well. But there's one thing in here that we got to really look at, okay? All of this is consistent, except one thing. He says, many nations. Well, the descendants of Jacob are only going to give us Israel. What is this, many nations? Well, he's adding many nations here. Because Jesus says this will be fulfilled in God's kingdom when many nations will share a banquet with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Jot these down. We don't have time for it in this, but go look. Jesus' own words in Matthew eight eleven, jot that down. Matthew eight eleven, Luke thirteen twenty nine. Here is El Shaddai talking to Jacob and is saying, through you, I'm going to do the things that you know, but there's something coming about many nations that you don't understand, but through your line, I'm also going to produce many nations, and he's already looking ahead, because Jesus is going to say what when he mentions this? You've heard it said that there will be a banquet, and all nations through me will be able to come into that banquet, and who are we going to sit down with? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's God foreshadowing that. Does anybody get excited about the Bible? Anybody? I mean, I mean, this is this is a pretty powerful book. You know, it's written by God. That's a biggie, right? You, you would think we'd be more interested in it. I mean, so so this is a this is a foreshadowing that is really exciting. So then it says that God went up from him at that place where he had the encounter. Right? He he goes up from him, and what is this showing us? Remember, Jace, remember Jacob's dream. Jacob's Ladder, I I looked up and I saw angels coming and going. So here is this uh, uh, showing Jacob this again. So let's look at 1415. Now Jacob's going to respond uh, to what he has heard. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob's reaction to God's second appearance was similar to the first. He, he set up a stone marker. Jacob was very good at this. And in both cases, he poured oil on the stone. The difference this time is that there's a drink offering, uh, which is also poured on it. Now, this is usually, uh, it's usually either uh, some sort of strong drink or most cases, when a drink offering was put on the altar, it was wine. Or for my brothers here uh, uh, in the Baptist church, grape juice. It is it is poured uh, on, on the uh, on, on whatever you're more comfortable with. It, it's poured on the um, on the stone. Why is that? The oil, of course, is 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 consecrating. That's that stands for purity. That stands for uh, the anointing, purification. The drink offering represents worship. I'm worshiping God at this altar. It will be a place of worship, not just a place of consecration. It will be a place of worship. That's what the drink offering always signifies in Scripture. So that's that was, that was Jacob's reaction to what God had said. So then we get into something, again, that we have to go back to the point I made early, right out of the gate, and that is that God is always refining us He's always teaching. And I was, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with someone about this today in email, and they were talking about, uh, the things that had gone on throughout the world involving slavery. And they were bringing up the point that, you know, when, when God's people were taken into slavery, um, it was actually God that was doing it. And God made that very clear. Uh, to I responded and said that is 100% true, and he even tells us why he was doing it, for their own good. Uh, Matter of fact, he says to Jeremiah, for them being taken into captivity today is actually a message of life for death. That's in Jeremiah, I think, 21, where he says the Babylonians are coming. Who do you say was bringing the Babylonians? He was. Okay, I'm bringing them against you. My hand is against you. And he said if you stay in this city of sin— the Babylonians will kill everybody in the city. But if you come out and surrender to them and be taken into captivity, I'll come back and free you at a later point, but you'll be alive. This is your life or death message. Now, what do you think about this? God Almighty said that there's two choices. Stay in their sin and die, or come out of your sin and and, and, and submit and be taken into captivity but you'll be alive, and then I'll deliver you from that captivity after I think your refinement's over. And then I replied to the, the emailer who agreed. I said, well, really, no doubt about that when it comes to his people's slavery. I said, but really, if we look at anything difficult that happens on earth, all of it is allowed by God. I didn't say caused, but all of it is allowed by God because if we don't think it's allowed, then we have to think he couldn't stop it. So then it's back to what I said. So what is he teaching? He's always teaching. Now, we may decide not to learn it and waste our suffering and waste our imprisonment and waste our refinement, but it was never intended to be wasted. It was there for a reason. And so you see now something happens next that is, uh, that is interesting. Um, then they journeyed from Bethel for some reason, Jacob decides he's going to leave Bethel for a minute. Nobody knows why. They don't know where he's going. I checked all the different commentaries on this. It just says Moses wants us to know he journeyed for Bethel. We don't know why. Uh, And when they were still some distance uh, from where they had just left, Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had a hard labor. Now, we don't even get any information from Moses that she was ever pregnant again. We didn't know this till now. Uh, So Rachel, who, as we all know, had a very, very difficult time conceiving Joseph. She has uh, apparently conceived again because she's now in labor. Um, And um, the midwife uh, attempts to comfort her. And when you see she went into labor and she had a hard labor, and look at this, 17, and when her labor was at its hardest, now, now what this really means, if you go back and look at the Hebrew here, she's dying. It means that the birth is killing her, which sadly was very common before the modern medical things that we have, that women dying in labor, was it it happened quite a bit. And, And so the midwife knows that she's dying, and she says to her to comfort her, look at verse 17b, do not fear, for you have another son. Now this is to comfort her. There was nothing that was more of a blessing from God for these women than to birth sons. Men and women are equal. I'm not, not, but I'm in this culture, it was shameful if you didn't have any sons. So anytime God gave you a son, that that was considered a huge blessing, okay? And she's being comforted by this by her midwife. but, but what what's interesting is I want you to take, uh, and I think this time we will take time to turn to it. Go back over to Genesis thirty, okay? Genesis thirty, and then I want you to look at uh, with me at verse twenty four. I am going to start in twenty two. Everybody with me? Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, and said, "God has taken away my reproach." Look at twenty four, and she called his name Joseph. Uh, and of course, if if you look at the uh, the meaning. Uh, there of of the name Joseph, it means may he add. And then she says, "May the Lord add to me another son." So what the midwife is saying to her, in her final breaths on this side of heaven, God delivered on His promise. But this is the part we got to understand. But she still died. So the last thing she's hearing is when you cried out to God for him to give you another son. Hey, I want you to hear this before God takes you. He did. You have another son. But we also know that Rachel obsessed over the fact that she could not bear children. And it is also ironic that her death would be tied to her birthing a child. God is always teaching. And, and and sometimes the very thing that we yearn for is sometimes the very thing that will kill us. And sometimes God sees fit, even fulfilling his promise, that when he says that your time on this earth is over, it is over. And he takes Rachel to himself, and Rachel, of course, wants to name the child with her last breath, uh, Binoni, son of my sorrow. So she wants this child to have sorrow connected to him because she's having this terrible labor, so much so it's killing her. And she's crying out that that, that his name be Benoni, son of my sorrow. But look what happens next. But his father called him Benjamin. Now, we do not see, was one of the things we talked about, about Jacob being passive and at times not very involved in his family. He he has not named any of his children. But he decides he'll he will not take that name. He's going to step in. And, and, and change the name. Now, why is that important? Well, I mean, listen, it's, it's very important because here is a wife who God is fulfilling a promise to her, and she's trying to label this promise with sorrow. And Jacob steps in with great devotion to his wife and who he loves, but he loves her enough to say, That was a mistake. We're not going to name him that. We're not going to remember God's promise as a sorrow. And so he comes in and says, no, he'll be called Benjamin. Now, what does Benjamin mean? It it literally means son of of a right hand is what it means. And there's tremendous irony that the Benjaminites turn out to be said in Scripture that they were very skilled with their left hands which I thought was hilarious because if you if you were good with your left hand in this culture you were dangerous okay because that way you you know you, you could use a sword either way uh, and a left-handed swordsman was 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 hard to deal with and so that's ironic but if you look deeper into some of the meanings of Benjamin II, that's the literal meaning but but we also see that it it uh, where he was born cuz he's he's the only one that is not born uh, where he's born south of where they're going to be. So it also is called son of the south but then even another one is that this right hand which I think and most theologians say is probably more accurate because this concept of a right hand or right hand this also means favored that that that, that there's there's an underlying meaning of this in the Hebrew this Benjamin there's an underlying that he might have been the son of the favored one and we all know that Jacob found Rachel to be his favorite that's who he loved and and that was made very clear in scripture and he may be using that name Benjamin that way this is the second son of my favored wife and i think that's probably more likely in all of it but uh, but but we we won't know till we are there with Benjamin and we can ask him ourselves but uh, but anyway so that that's we do know the name was changed uh, and it was the only child of Jacob's that he actually changed his name. Uh, and uh, many think that it may stand for a position of favor. And we also see that when we're where we're about to go next, right? Because we're going to see something happen with Judah that is quite moving uh, when we get deeper into Genesis concerning Benjamin. And that also indicates that Benjamin—I mean, you can imagine. I mean, let's just now just be men, okay? If you if you're having children with a woman that the minute you laid eyes on her you fell in love with her and you worked and worked and worked to get the opportunity to marry her and went through all kinds of stuff and she is the one that you adore and all of a sudden the last thing she does on earth is give you a son I would think that son would be pretty special and uh, and so uh, that that also lends itself to that but uh, and then there's the more if you want to see the part that's ironic about the Benjaminites and, and they're skilled with their left hand, uh, write these down. Uh, Judges three fifteen talks about this. Also, Judges chapter twenty, verses fifteen and sixteen. It's also mentioned again, First Chronicles twelve two. Um, so that's just kind of a funny uh, that the if you go down the road of the right hand and realize they were actually skilled with their left hand. Um, all right, so uh, so verses nineteen and twenty. So Rachel died, and, uh, and, and she was buried on the way uh, to Ephrath, which is modern-day Bethlehem, irony there. Uh, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. He's been known to set up a pillar. Uh, it is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Now, when you see Moses say things like that, what that means is while he was writing this, it was still there. Uh, and, and, and and we may find a relic of it even now. We keep finding—anytime somebody digs in, in this part of the world, we find all kinds of biblical history. But it, remember when he says that, he means that as I am writing this, if you went there right now, you'd still see it. Okay, so, so he made this as a, as a tribute uh, to, his, to his wife. Uh, Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower uh, of Eder. Uh, now, when you when you talk about this tower, he he went he, he went past and and, and camped. It, it's the tower of the of a flock is what this means. Uh, and if and if you look at Micah four eight, uh, write that write that down. If you look at, at at Micah four eight, we see the tower of a flock mentioned again. So we think where this actually is 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 a village that is near to Jerusalem. Uh, that, that's where most people think that this was actually located, which is where he's gone after her death and is settling there uh, for a moment. So while while Israel, and, and things are about to get ugly here, uh, verse 22, while Israel lived in the land, Reuben, now who is Reuben? Reuben is the oldest son of Leah, first son that Jacob had with Leah. While Israel lived in the land, Reuben went out and lay uh, with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. All right, so what's going on here? All right. So Reuben. Now, if if you read scripture, in, in the way I realize that this maidservant is not blood kin to Reuben, but it still is a stepmama because she had children too uh, to to Jacob, uh, and so. By the law of, of, of God's people, this is considered incest. You, you don't go and lay with one of your daddy's wives. Because uh, remember, these maidservants, when they had children uh, for, for you know, the husband of the lady that they were the servant for, these were legitimate children, and they were considered to be moms, stepmoms, of these children. So for Reuben to do this in the culture— Uh, was considered incest. But this was also um, common in Scripture. When you see a son do this, we'll see Absalom do the same thing to David. When you see a son do this, what this really is about is trying to usurp their father's authority. It really doesn't have that much to do with lust. I mean, Reuben was not struggling for women. What he's trying to do is, I want to do something that shames my father. I want to usurp his authority and declare myself an authority. Now, you see that it says to us that Israel, he doesn't, he hears of it, but he doesn't really do anything. But he's aware of it. Now, you're going to think to yourself, you know, is, is, is Israel just going to let this go? And the answer is no, which you'll see later. But we got to figure out what caused this. Now, we have been studying these chapters in Scripture, and we as as fathers, and some of you may be fathers of children, some of you may not, you will one day. It can happen inside any family unit, but especially if some of us, like, like myself, if you've committed sins of the past, where you had to be redeemed and you have a, a blended family of some kind because of your sin or difficulty. Or you may have a blended family has nothing to do with sin. Maybe your wife passed away and you remarried. But you have children that are from other people. Or it can happen in a house where the children all come from the same people. If you start playing favorites, you cause this kind of division inside your family. And Reuben had watched this whole deal – And you're going to see this really reveal itself in the next thing we're going to. After we get through Esau's descendants, we're getting into Joseph, okay? And these brothers have watched Jacob, now Israel, play favorites. It's so obvious to them that the children of Rachel are more dear to him than the children of anybody else, including Leah. And this this has created a divide in the family. And if you wonder if this has been bothering Reuben, here's a good sign it has okay cuz he's trying to usurp his father and he's he's gone and he's had and he's laid with his dad's concubine our maidservant, and who is the father i mean the mother of some of his children so and you you'll see her mentioned here in just a minute so the 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 problem now is what's going to happen from this reuben's sin is shocking uh, and, and but it's not going to go unnoticed because what you're going to see as we finish out Genesis, when we see Israel on his deathbed, when he's passing away, Reuben will be denied the double share of his inheritance, which the oldest should get. He won't get it. And uh, you'll also see uh, that Israel will pass him over uh, when he is uh, prophesying on his deathbed. And uh, he will not receive uh, the same thing that his brothers receive, because uh, again uh, we see that Israel has been passive, and um, and but he will be dealing with this sin uh, when he is dying. This is going to come back on Reuben, so just just make a note of that. uh, Because why? Say it back to me. Why why it's going to come back? Because sin always matters. Sin always matters. Uh, it, can, it can be forgiven, but it always matters. So then we see next that Moses, before we wrap up and we'll finish today, he wants to let us know the sons of Jacob and that they were 12, and then he lists them. The sons of Leah, Reuben, that was the first one, Simeon, Levi, Judah, uh, Ishkar, and Zebulun. And then you see the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, who's just been violated, Rachel's servant, she gave him Dan, uh, and uh, and Na- uh, and Naphtali, and then the sons of Zilpah, that's Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. Uh, these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him, and Paddan Aram, and then twenty-seven, and Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, uh, or and then or the other name, and of course that's actually Hebron's where it is where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. And this will be the end of our lesson today, but this is important. We now know that Jacob at some point has reunited with Isaac uh, he moved to the original partial that was purchased by, purchased by his granddaddy, Abraham. His life, uh, uh, Isaac's life, had lasted longer. If you remember, Esau and Rebekah were having a conversation about how long that Isaac was going to live, and they had thought he'd live about 100 years. He lived 80 more than that. He did live through the selling of Joseph, and he died when Joseph was freed from jail. We'll get to those things. Um Jacob uh, lived at Hebron which uh, which we know is uh with, with Isaac and he got to spend time with him there at this original partial before he took it over for 14 years. So he gets 14 years with Isaac before Isaac dies uh after he had to flee for 20 years. Um Abraham Isaac um and uh, uh now had had been there at at Mamre uh, the age of death is given which is rare in scripture. Uh, and he took his last breath and he died. Listen to the things that we see that were the same thing that happened to Abraham. Listen to how Abraham's death and Isaac's death sound exactly the same. They're at the same place. The age, Their age is given. The Scripture says that both took their last breath breath and died. Both were gathered to their people. Both, it says, were old and full of years. Remember I told you what that means. That means that they were never a burden to anybody. They never had Alzheimer's. They never wandered around not knowing where they are. They were still living out their life and were able to do all the things that they have always been able to do. And here's another thing. They were both buried by two sons. Uh, and and they were both buried by two sons who had conflict with each other. Uh, but here's the one thing that we do get from that. The fact that Esau and, and Israel, formerly Jacob, are both there to bury Isaac, it also tells us that they have been fully reconciled, just like we had been watching that process. So um, as we walk through this, and and I think what we're going to do next week, I think we will just run through the descendants of Esau. I mean, it's really just historical, and we're not going to ignore it, but I think we'll just kind of run through it and maybe go ahead and jump in uh, to Joseph, which will carry us through the, the rest of Genesis. Working through that because uh, so I think we may get thirty six and thirty seven in next week's lesson because thirty seven is pretty short too. Um, So let's uh, let's say a word of prayer and let's think about the things that God has taught us today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, uh, as we look into these historical moments in world history and these people that you created just like us, and it is amazing that we look at these people that lived so long ago, and we see so many things that are like ourselves. But, Lord, may we also realize as we see things about them that are flawed, just like us, we also seem see you continuing to be faithful, you continuing to be gracious, and you continuing to use some really flawed people, just like you can use every person in this room, and every person watching and listening, because there is nothing wonderful about any of us, but there is much that is wonderful about you. And the only thing good about any of us that are redeemed is you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching and listening to this that needs help, that they'll reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com, and may your hand be upon all of us as we leave today. I pray for personally for you to be be with me and my dad, As we spend time together today, may it be something that though he may not remember, I will. Um, In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great time.